0: I'm speaking with composer John Ottman, who makes a triumphant return to the X Men franchise with X Men Days of Future Past, where he serves as composer and editor of the film. Uh, John's continuing collaboration with director Brian Singer has resulted in amazing scores and, you know, perfectly cut pictures like The Usual Suspects, X2, Valkyrie, Apt Pupil, and Jack the Giant Slayer. John, thanks so much for uh, chatting again. It was uh, great bumping into you uh, last week at the BMI yeah. Awards. <laughs> great to see you. <laughs> um, so, this would be the seventh x men related film in the franchise, including the Wolverine films but it's the first time a composer has returned to it. How excited were you that you got to bring some form of continuity to this franchise uh,
1: i was well, I was very excited to do that i mean i, I the story' is well known that after x men two i was um I had planned i'd planned all these um I planted all these seeds in the score to expand upon for the next film. And when we left the franchise, I was always upset. I never got, got to, uh, you know, um, fulfill what, what where I was going with the score. And so then I guess after 11 years or whatever it's been, I can sort of kind of pick up where, pick up where I left off. I mean, not really it's a totally, not technically a sequel or anything, but but at least I was able to um, resurrect the theme and, and give some sort of continuity among uh, between two movies, at least.
0: Right, <laughs> and uh, and
1: uh, you know, and I always sort of look very fondly back upon that time, uh, X-Men 2. It was a my first big thing to do, and um, and the, the process of actually making the movie was very smooth, and um, I just and uh, and I was it was exciting, and, and um, became a big X-Men fan, which I hadn't really been before I started that, so um, uh, I sort of felt a kinship with with those characters and so it was really great to to go back and and get in that world again
0: right so speak you know speaking of continuity you did bring back a lot of your themes and everything and um for the different characters that you did create next to so how did you decide to kind of expand on those team on these uh, on those themes this time around like where did you what characters did you really focus on i know that xavier got his own theme but the other characters such as magneto or or you know uh uh, who else is in there? Uh, Mag- uh, Mystique and all those yeah, other people. Yeah, I didn't really have the opportunity to expand on too many
1: people's themes because uh, it's a, it's, the film is so centrally uh, focused on Xavier. So it's really Xavier. Um, uh, Raven had sort of a new motif I, I created that was a little more, more modern and, and um, reflective. And then um, Magneto has a sort of motif that's, that's peppered throughout the movie that, that was loosely based upon um, a brief moment he had in X-Men 2. And... Um, and so that that's covered that throughout i you know was, there was there was a suggestion of using the quote unquote magneto theme from first class and i I, I would have happily have used it, but it, the suggestion came after I'd written the score, and I had like a week before I recorded, so we couldn't really <laughs> okay. rejigger everything I had planted throughout the score with with this um sort of um, sort of i don't know, ominous ominous sort of um simple thing I did for for, for uh, Magneto. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, the, the quote-unquote Magneto theme is very... Um, it's very funny for me because... Well, it's very odd for me, I should say, not funny. Because <laughs> I don't know whether they tempt with, with X-Men 2 in first class, or actually I know they did, but or whether it was just happenstance, but the, um, the Magneto theme was actually Wolverine's theme from X-Men 2. And so it's always very strange for me to hear this big bombastic version and, 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 apply it to Magneto because in my brain, it's Logan's theme. So, <laughs> so um, cause uh, I don't know if people, if people watch X-Men Two, and, uh, especially like an augmentation room where he walks in, um, before he meets Stryker and it's just, uh, da. And it's the same thing, but, but, um, but, uh, Jack turned it into, um, you know, a big glorious Magneto theme, and that just now, now people have associated that with Magneto, and okay. and um, I guess they'll be even more confused now that I put Magneto themes back to something else. So I don't know. I should, <laughs> maybe I should, I should just gone with it. But um, but um, either, you know, the reason I didn't, another reason I didn't go with it, is that originally, uh, in our in our in our in our cut for the longest time, the very end theme, with Logan being dredged up um, from the water, um, I had scored it with. Logan's theme from X Men Two, and and so therefore, if I had done that for Magneto throughout the movie, it would have been completely confusing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I ended up rescoring it and not using his, his his theme for the boat anyway. So in retrospect, I could have used, I could have done it, but it's, it's long with an answer to, <laughs> to to the Magneto Magneto theme
0: debacle. No, it's great. That's awesome to, to learn all that, um, have it straightened out. Um, but also, I mean, we talked about Xavier's theme, which is kind of almost acts as a central theme for the film because he's kind of his story is so important and it hovers around right. him. Um, so, since the film is about hope and the character, his character is kind of about hope and kind of rediscovering his hope, where he's kind of a lost soul. Where did you really draw the music from his character? Like, what what about was it the performance that uh, James gave? Was it the character on the page? Like, where was the music coming from?
1: Well, it's actually exactly what you just said. I mean, I knew what what the character's challenge was and what what. The film was about, and so I just tried to create a piece of music, or a theme that that sort of um, was could could play both sides, meaning that it could be sort of despondent uh, and, and tortured, but also have a, be designed so that it could be hopeful um, when when it evolved later in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, and I and I sort of I started sketching basically just on electric piano, and it sounded so cool and vintage um, at the same time. So early in the movie. When it's just very subtly underscoring him, it's it's a lot of electric piano in the in the within the strings.
0: So, right, right. So I kind of was excited about that, even though it's you know it's subtle, but like you know little things kind of energize you in your writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you mentioned to me in the past that you you completely separate your editing and scoring processes uh, processes or whatever the plural is, and it never crosses over. And yeah, I know many editors. Uh, I mean, I guess having a composer mindset and an editor's mindset, you know. Um, so how do you really dictate uh, the pacing in your cuts? Uh, is it really about assembling a rough cut and tweaking things till it fr- feels right, since you're kind of keeping music out of your mind? Most editors keep music in their mind because, you know, they rely on yeah, it to, for I'm, I'm pacing.
1: Yeah, uh, strangely surprising to people, I, I don't cut to any music whatsoever. In fact, I, I find it very exciting to put the entire film together. Or I guess I guess or, or or scary to put the whole film together and watch it mm-hmm. and would and watch it dry and because to me if it's working dry um, and I'm engaged in it then the music is just going to bring it to another level and it's not going to be depending on the music to do everything or to um, to solve every problem and so I, and I think also the danger as a storyteller or as an editor who's who has a and as a composer who has a big interest in the film working early on, so that I can go right at the score, because I can't have a problem child in my hand. <laughs> and that is, I, I can't afford to have um, uh, things blow up in my face later right. to, to have to solve. And, and one of the things that, you, that, that, that happens when you when you edit a scene to music is it, is it covers up or, or masks a problem that, that the scene may have. Mm-hmm. But you don't really realize it early on until you've lived with it for a while. Then you realize, oh... Now it's too late, but we have this big problem we didn't recognize because the music tricked us. And I'd rather not that happen because again, I'm trying to protect myself from having a problem blow up in my face later. So I just do the whole thing dry, and then I spend once the film's working for me. Um, and I like to, I love working on uh, sound design as well and, and, and sound effects and so forth. So I, mm-hmm. I really like to to create that sort of uh, the sound effects world, and then have the music complement everything. So then then I spend about a week or two putting the Temp score in, so I can show the film to the studio and, and Brian and so forth.
0: Hmm. And uh, do you usually use your own music for temp scores, or do you just kind of find something that, that kind of will fit with it?
1: Typically, no. I mean, there's been a cue here or there that I've used in desperation. And I mean, it's really just about I mean, when I temp, it's different from maybe what a music editor would temp because uh, they often will just throw things up and then, you know, by the mere fact that it's new, um, people love it. But it may, not, it may be wrong for right. the scene. Right. But with me, I, I know in my head. What I want to do, and I need to find it because I don't have the time to go write it. So, so, so it's very agonizing to be sifting through, you know, every score from, <laughs> 30 years that I can find a phrase or a, a type of t- uh, tone or something I'm looking for, and, right. and that I mean in in. in in 30 seconds of of, a, of my temp, there could easily be five scores, you know, just <laughs> weaving one from one phrase to another, and then I pitch pitch another one, and then put, maybe put a string sustain on top of two phrases. You know, I'd do kind of crazy stuff.
0: Wow. And uh, so, I mean, now you and Brian have been friends and collaborators for such a long time. At this point, when you make movies together, have you guys developed a shorthand? Does he, I mean, do you have a set process of approaching things and has it changed over the years at all? Or have you kind of found a a, a path? He enjoys his life and I sit there in that room and destroy my own. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's basically how, that's
1: really the plight of many editors, you know? It's like, I mean, I always say that that really, you can get resentful of that, but the flip side if he was just sitting in the room the whole time, I, I would it would be awful. So, so um, it's 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 better this way, I guess. But you um, know, the process is pretty much you know he is um, he likes to he likes to put himself in the seat of the uh, of the audience and, and stay objective to to the movie. So mm-hmm. he tends to stay away a lot. So that he'll come in and see something like he's never seen it before, and um, he disassociates himself you know completely from what he's done and just walks in and then respond and then responds he reacts. Hmm. So it's not like there's there's a whole um, gamut of marching orders before anyone, before I do anything, it's basically, he's, he's really depending on me to do something that, that, that surprises him or wilds him, you know.
0: And, uh, how did, so how did this whole agreement start out? I mean, I know, you know, you've been editing all his films and you only edit his films. So how did this really begin?
1: Well, the story, as probably many people know, is we were, we were, uh, I was editing his first feature film, and um, the composer dropped out the 11th hour, and I wrote the score as well, and that was public access, or or, we (laughs) submitted for Sundance, and it won Sundance, and then uh, I was like, well, uh, I like scoring movies, (laughs) so uh, when we put the usual suspects deal together, I said, you know, I just want to write the score, and he said, hell no, Um, you know, because there was a symbiosis with me doing both the tasks. And and pretty much, like I say, the blackmail continues to this day. He basically Mm -hmm. is like, (laughs) you're not going to cut the film unless you're the editor. And so, you know, I leave my scoring career, and I think all the musicians in town think I died or something, but um, (laughs) because I I go away for a year or, or less, for this case of Jack, two years, and I I write one score out of it. So it is is, very frustrating for me. But the flip side, I get to have a hand in creating a movie, you know.
0: So if you if you would have to would you ever edit a film not for Brian? No. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Period. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, I, unless I'm held at gunpoint, I'm not going to edit a movie. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean I, only because I can do the other. I mean, editing, editing has, has uh, you know, it, it, I, having, so let me just say, uh, the, the editor is the most important person on a movie, bar none, more than the composer, more than, more than many other jobs, because it all boils down to this person and, and what this person is going to do, you know, and, and, and the, the problems this person is going to solve, the story he's going to retell, um, this, it, it, the, the, the laundry list of, of responsibilities that an editor has on a film is, would, be, would be probably very surprising to mm-hmm. to many people, especially an editor who has this kind of relationship um, where there's a lot of authority given, and it's, it's a massive amount of pressure. You have the weight of the whole film on your shoulders, and um, and so I, when I say I would never go do it, it's just it's not because I'm belittling the field. It's it's it's, it's massively important. Um, it's just that it's uh, if I can go do a, if I can go write a score in eight weeks, um, and then and then in, in, in basically wake up in the morning in my bathrobe and and uh, and smell some roses between projects. Why would I go <laughs> destroy myself for a year and a half, you know, right. um, and not get to write any music? So,
0: well, that's a fair enough answer. Um, and finally, to wrap up, I just have to ask you: How excited are you that Lake Placid is making its Blu-ray debut in July? I can't even sleep at night, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> well it is. It's coming out. It's coming out in July and I can finally throw away my non anamorphic DVD, so <laughs> Well, are you one of those lake placid people? I am and I remember I mentioned oh. it I remember I mentioned it last time. Oh, and, that's right. And you're like, Why why do you people love that score so? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. It's like I always say that was my most puzzling score to write because I couldn't figure out you know, I I, I I like like I said, I I'm inspired by characters and that's how I write my themes and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with with um with the crocodile or or or, or was crocodile or alligator? Cro- crocodile. Um to sort of garner a theme because I always go some from some pain of a character or some conflict and I'm like, What's the problem? It's just swimming around the water, so I it was a really hard thing to come up with, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, it is coming out on Blu-ray, so I'm I'm pretty excited. That'll be awesome. <laughs> uh, but, cool. John, thank you so much for your time again, and and the movie is great. I mean, I loved it. It's it's a pitch right. perfect cut, uh, scored, you know, really well oiled machine. It's a, a great film. Thank you so much for oh, putting putting in the work for it. So thank you. Sure, sure. Thank you.